This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, overseen by the elders of the Chipman Road Church of Christ in Lee Summit, Missouri. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 discusses disputes among Christians that are matters of opinion. We're going to observe disputes about what is to be eaten, disputes over the way people esteem days, and disputes over judging others. You know, a Jewish Christian might tell a Gentile Christian that he or she should not eat certain things and to observe certain days. Or the Gentile Christian might tell the Jewish Christian those things were offered to idols. We can't eat that. Well, Paul writes here to dismiss these disputes. Now, there are some things we need to understand about Romans 14. I want to use two quotes. One quote from Brother Robert Taylor and another from Brother Guy in Woods. Brother Taylor said this, and I quote, Romans 14 is not a chapter that justifies digression from doctrinal truth. Romans 14 is not a chapter that condones any doctrinal falsehood. Romans 14 is not a chapter that treats as indifferent or inconsequential doctrinal deviations, such as mechanical instrumental music and missionary societies. Romans 14 is not a chapter that says, Users of piano, organ, and ten-piece bands as Christian worship are strong brethren, and opposers to such are weak brethren. Romans 14 is not a chapter that justifies the social drinker in his infamous and iniquitous, his noxious and nefarious habit of imbibing the waters of eternal destruction. Romans 14 is not a chapter that lends a syllable of support to the infallibility of the human conscience. The basic thrust of Romans 14 is a treatment of matters indifferent or opinions of human judgment, such as meat eating, herb or vegetable diets only, day keeping, etc., unquote. Brother Guy in Woods made this comment, and I quote, it was his purpose in our lesson text for today to show that all such were in the realm of opinion and that the brethren should exhibit tolerance, patience, kindness, and forbearance, unquote. In Romans 14, 1 and 2, we see the strong Christians and the weak Christians and the problems they have and their solutions. In Romans 14, 1, we see the weak in faith. Romans 14, 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. You know, there were some Roman Christians who had some doubts and were not sure about certain things. And these were to be received. The word received there is translated from the Greek word proslambano, 
Strong's defines proslambano this way, to take to oneself, that is, use as food, lead aside, admit to friendship or hospitality. And that is what we're looking at here in Romans 14.1, receive them, to admit them to friendship or hospitality. You know, if you've ever been in a congregation where they had these so-called men's business meetings, a lot of times it seems like these meetings were more than just meetings. They turned into a brawl almost, and there was not any tolerance, patience, kindness, and forbearance because of the differences of opinion that were being given. You know, again, a Jewish Christian would have some opposition to eating things that were considered unclean under the law of Moses. You, know, you think about if you have someone who has been converted from Judaism to Christianity, if you invite them over to eat, you're not going to be serving them pork chops because that might violate their conscience, and we are warned against that. And a Gentile Christian would have some opposition to eating meats that were sacrificed to idols. <clears throat> so both of these, either one could be the strong or the weak. So either one of these could be the weak Christian that we're looking at. Now, Paul says these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, are to have fellowship one with another and not draw lines of fellowship or try to get the other to do something that would violate their conscience. The accepting of the weak brother was not to fan the flames of dissension over the matters of opinion in question. Vines defines the word translated disputations there this way, an inward reasoning and opinion. You see, the fellowship is not to be extended to the weaker Christian to haggle over differences of opinion. We are not to bind where God has not bound, and we are not to loose where God has not loosed. Uh, several years ago, I had a person ask if I would do a lesson on why we should call one another brother and sister. I couldn't do that lesson because that is not a scriptural thing. That was his or her opinion in the matter, and I'm not going to do a lesson on matters of opinion in that way. In Romans 14, 2, the one who is weak is overly strict because of his opinions. Romans 14, 2, for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. The one that eats all things believes that it does not matter whether he eats meat or vegetables or both, and he does have scriptural backing for that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 is one place we find that. 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. It says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, 
and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. So there we have scriptural precedent that we can eat meat, every creature. So if you love lizard soup, that's wonderful. Just make sure that you receive it with thanksgiving. Another place that we find both sides of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now verse 4, 1 Corinthians 8, 4. It says, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. So right there is very clear. The one who eats the meat, again this being in reference to the sacrifice to idols, he knows that that idol is nothing. So it does not bother his conscience to eat the meat that was offered to it, because he knows there's nothing to that. But in verses 7 and 8 of Romans, of, excuse me, 1 Corinthians there, chapter 8, verse 7 says, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. And again, the weak Christian could be the Jew or the Gentile. But he's saying right here, it doesn't matter. If you only eat vegetables, that's fine. If you eat meat and vegetables, that's fine. It's your opinion. In Romans 14, 3, we see the way the strong and the weak are to treat each other. Romans 14, 3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. So we find here, those who eat meat are not to despise in any way or look down on those that choose not to eat the meat. Those who do not eat the meat are not to judge those that do eat the meat. Brother Tom Waycaster made this comment on this verse, and I quote, The strong must stop treating the weak with contempt, and the weak must stop criticizing the strong. Unquote. The reason? God has received both those that do and those that do not eat meat. Again, Brother Braycaster brings up some good points concerning this, and I want to give you, there's three points here, and I quote, number one, the scruples of the weak brothers should not become the rule of the congregation. Number two, the strong brother should not try to dispute with the weak brother regarding the weak brother's opinion. And number three, the things under consideration are not of such nature as to cause God to reject him. Unquote. You know, I was in a congregation one time that had a couple that did not believe in eating in the building. The congregation did have meals in the building, but this couple would never stay because it violated their conscience. 
Well, if it violates their conscience, don't try to push our opinion on them. Now, we know from the scriptures that eating in a church building, there's nothing wrong with that because if there was, there were people in the New Testament who couldn't even eat in their houses because the church met there. But that's another lesson. But it violated their conscience, and yet they did not say it was sin to eat there. They just didn't. It violated their conscience. You know, whenever we bind where God has not bound, and whenever we loose where God is not loosed, then we are in sin. And we are not to judge God's servants in matters of opinion. Romans 14, 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. And not all judging is sinful. We know from John 7, 24. John 7, 24, Jesus said, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We are to judge righteous judgment in doctrinal matters and moral matters. In 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13. To the church, he said, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? <laughs> but them that are without, God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. They were to judge him guilty and withdraw their fellowship. So both the strong and the weak brethren need to recognize each other as servants of God. You do not make laws for someone else's servant. And in this verse we're looking at, you do not make laws for God's servants. The only one who can approve or reject the servant's behavior is the servant's master. The standing or falling does not depend on the opinions of mankind. It depends on the Word of God. The kind of judging that Paul is speaking about here is exactly the kind of judging that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where he said, Judge not that ye be not judged. And yet people will take that verse and throw it totally out of context. And they just try to say, Well, you can't judge my life. No, you can't. Well, we have to judge, do we not? Because Jesus then goes ahead and says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. If you're judging according to your opinion, <laughs> you're in bad shape. But if you're judging according to the Word of God, then you will be judged according to the Word of God. And then Jesus says how to do that. Verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now you think about it. If there's a mote or a speck in your eye, a speck of dirt, maybe dust, you want it out. 
because it hurts. But then he says, yeah, it needs to be gotten out, but you look at yourself first. You got a log in your eye. You can't see how to help. In other words, this person has sin in their life, and it needs to get out. But you have more, and you're trying to help them? Verse 4, or how, how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? Behold, there's a beam in thine own eye. Well, what's the cure for that? Verse 5, thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly the cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. So what is he saying there? Get your own life straightened up first. Then you can help your brother. So yes, there is judging that is taking place there, but not a condemning judgment as Jesus is condemning there in Matthew 7, 1. In Romans 14, 5, Paul says there must be tolerance in matters of opinion about observing days. Romans 14, 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, these days are days which God has not legislated in the New Testament scriptures. We're looking at there the days of the feast days and such things as that as the law of Moses. But God has legislated one day, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. God has legislated that we worship him on the first day of the week. Another place where that is found is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, concerning our giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So the first day of the week again, when they are gathered together, as we saw in Acts 20, verse 7, we see why they were gathered together, and why we are together together on the first day of the week. You know, Paul is not, and I stress Paul is not, allowing the observance of religious holy days that God has not authorized. Today, those days would be Christmas and Easter. God has not authorized those days. Paul is talking about the carrying over from the law of Moses. Days like the Sabbath, the Pentecost, Passover, New Moon, Day of Atonement, and such things as that. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, we're going to see that the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, were observing those days as religious holy days. Galatians 4, 9 through 11. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, 
How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? That's talking about the law of Moses and the things that were contained in it. Verse 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul says you are regarding these days. You're observing these days. And I fear for you. I may have wasted my time on you. Paul warned the Colossians about observing religious holy days. In Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Those things were a shadow. But now we're in the body the church. We know that from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. It says, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So apparently at least some Jewish Christians were trying to observe some of the special days from the law of Moses and they were compelling the Gentiles to do the very same thing. Paul stipulated that every man was to be fully persuaded in his own mind, do not violate your conscience. And then those days are not religious anymore anyway. In Romans 14, 6, no matter what the opinion or the matter of opinion may be, we must do it to the best of our ability for the Lord. Romans 14, 6, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he eateth he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. In other words, don't bind your opinion on others. Your opinion is no better than anybody else's opinion. Of course, your opinion to you is the only opinion, usually. But others have opinions as well. Brother Tom Waycaster made this comment, and I quote, A recent Jewish convert might regard the seventh day as a day of rest, while the stronger Christian would recognize the non-binding nature of those Old Testament work restrictions. In either case, we are to respect the personal conscience of the other so long as no biblical principle is being compromised, unquote. So each is serving God to the best of their knowledge. And we do not live without influence upon others. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. You know, we may not 
want to accept the responsibility that our lives do affect others, and they do. Our eating, our social relations, our work, all affect others. And you may not want to hear it, but there is someone out there who is looking up to you and following your example. And there are people in the world who are watching you to see how, if you're a Christian, how does a Christian act in the things of this world? Because none of us is an island. We're not just sitting out there all by ourselves. And it doesn't make any difference if we are among the weak or the strong when we die, that death does not sever us from God. But we must never consider being among the weak as good enough. We need to grow. In 2 Peter 1, 4 through 8, says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence. In other words, do your very best. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, you know, it doesn't say if these things be in you a little bit. No, if they be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you look just a little bit further down in the book of Second Peter, and you get to chapter 3, verse 18. It says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We are to grow. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, he says there, Hebrews 5, 12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. They hadn't grown. And if you don't grow, you go backwards in the spirit spiritual realm. In your knowledge, you have to grow. And how do we grow in knowledge? 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. If we do not know the word of God, if we do not study the word of God, then we should be ashamed. In Romans 14, 8, whether weak or strong, the Christian belongs to the Lord in life and in death. So whether we are alive or we are dead, 
we belong to God. Romans 14, 8. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. In other words, we belong to God all the time. And we need to act like it. You know, if our lives are focused on Christ in this life, that relationship's not going to end in death. Christ is to have complete authority in our lives now so that we can be with him in death. So we see that everything we do is tied to God. <clears throat> now, in Romans 14, 9, it gives the reason why Christ has complete authority in our lives. Romans 14, 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and living. For to this end, what's that mean? The end that we live for God and not for ourselves. And Christ's victory over death, his resurrection, allowed him to be Lord of both the dead and the living. In Romans 14.10, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not before the judgment seat of somebody's opinion. Romans 14.10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, in other words, knowing this, that we're all going to be before the judgment seat of Christ, how could the strong set it not? That means to despise utterly the weak. And how could the weak condemn those who are strong in matters that God left in the realm of opinion? We know that the judgment day is coming. In Matthew 25, 31 and following, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31 and going all the way down to verse 46, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. You know who's going to be among those all nations? You and me. We're going to be there. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So we are either going to be on the right or the left according to our lives now. Verse 31. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came unto me. All the things that he just mentioned would fit in every age of time, whether that was the patriarchal, the mosaic, or the Christian age that we're in now. Verse 37. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, and in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. We know the judgment day is coming. That is reaffirmed in 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, right there we see that once saved, always saved, is a false doctrine. We are going to be judged according to what we have done. You know, people say, well, you can't be saved by works. Well, God has given us works that we must do. And we're not going to be saved by our own works of righteousness because we don't have works of righteousness compared to what God does. But God will justify us if we will work the works that he has commanded us to do. You know, whenever you look over in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 11 and read down to verse 15. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Again, we ask the question, who are the dead, small and great? Well, you and I are in there. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works, according to what they have done in the body. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We're judged according to what we do. 
Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We know these days are coming. And we're going to be judged by God's word, not human opinion. In John 12, 48 says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We're going to be judged by the word of God. You know, there are songs in the rock and roll and in the country. You know, was, there's a song I believe the Righteous Brothers did that, you know, if there's a rock and roll heaven and then hillbilly heaven in the country realm or whatever, well, they're not judged according to how well they played, how well they sang. They'll be judged according to how well their lives matched what God commanded us to do in his word. So no, there's no rock and roll heaven. No, there's no hillbilly heaven or whatever the songs may be. In 2 Timothy 4.1, we find that the problems between the weak and strong brethren can be resolved when each one realizes the certainty of judgment and their individual accountability before the judge Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. What does he say? Preach the word, not opinion. Preach the word. Well, that should help us understand that our petty opinions a lot of the time are insignificant and foolish. You know, I found, I found a book, and it's by a person named Dusty Bowling, or Bowling, however that's pronounced. And the title of the book is Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus. Well, when you think about our opinions, you know, insignificant in whose eyes? They may be significant in the life of the cactus. They may be significant to the cactus. And you see, that's the way our opinions are. Our opinions are significant to us where others may look at them as being insignificant. In Romans 14, 11, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Christ. Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. That comes from Isaiah 45, 23. 
Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. It says there, I have sworn by myself the word is gone out from my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and or every tongue shall swear. The strong will bow and confess. The weak will bow and confess. The only choice is whether we do it voluntarily now, willingly now, or we are compelled to do it on the judgment day when it's too late. You know, you think about it, someone said, well, Charles Darwin never believed in God. He does now. Stephen Hawking didn't believe in God. He does now. And he's going to bow now. And so will Darwin. And they're going to confess. Just like you and I. But we're either going to confess now and bow before our king now or we're going to do it later when it's too late. Because we are going to give an account of ourselves. Nobody else. Just ourselves. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So God is going to condemn us or save us based on our own individual lives as our lives compare to the teachings of the Bible. Brother Tom Waycaster gives these five lessons contained in this verse, and I quote, number one, none will escape the judgment. Each one of us will stand at the judgment bar of the Almighty. Number two, all will give account. The words of our mouth and the deeds of our lives will be examined in the light of God's word. Number three, we will be judged based upon our own deeds. Number four, we will account for ourselves and no one else. The husband with a godly wife will not win favor from God due to his wife's behavior. We will not be able to point a finger at the hypocrite and be excused for our disobedience because of the churches being full of hypocrites. Number five, we will give account to God Almighty, the perfect, holy, eternal, all-knowing, all-wise judge of mankind, unquote. I'm not going to be judged based on what someone else has done. I'm not going to be judged because brother so-and-so was my preacher. I'm not going to be judged because I went to that congregation. I'm going to be judged for what I've done, for what I've said, for what I've thought, 
and so will you. You see, God has given us freedom of choice in matters of opinion. And we must not judge one another in these matters. Now, when it comes to doctrinal matters, there can be no compromise. But in matters of opinion, we must be lenient. We must realize that each one of us will bow before God and confess Him. And we will be judged by our own lives, not by the life of someone else. And we will, be not be we will not be judged by our opinions. We will be judged by the Word of God. Well, we're going to call an end to the lesson there today. And Lord willing, we'll begin there in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, next time. So it's been great to have you with us, and we look forward to seeing you then. We thank you for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Byway Media by visiting us at bywaymedia.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find all of our podcasts and all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.